Welcome to Insachtelin Quicatlan. This is a podcast about poetic thinking where we share with you a different perspective of the social world. Every episode, we take a topic or a concept and we use the lens of philosophy, psychology, mythology, and art to analyze the wonderful horrors of the modern world. Welcome back. Uh, it took us a while to release a new episode, um, but we're happy to be back and we will continue to produce this podcast. Um, my name is Andrea Martinez. My name is Andrea Celeste. And today we are going to talk about endings and beginnings because it's still January, the month of Janus, god of endings and beginnings. These concepts constantly define our history and our personal lives from claiming the end of history, the end of modernity, to the beginning of a new year, such as we are in the past 30 days claiming so. Uh, we are constantly trapped in ever-ending cycles. Nina Simone sang, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life. But how so, Nina? How or, so? Or is it so? Yeah, and or is it so? These terms, uh, this, this, the importance of these terms we see in everyday life, from pop culture to politics, we talk about um, the beginning of a regime, the end of a presidency. We talk about the end of the pandemic. Um, 2021 is going to be a new year of people where initially, maybe some of them still are hopeful that it will be better than last. Uh, we think about birthdays in our personal lives, end, uh, end of uh, an era, end of a period of time, um, end of a marriage, uh, end of uh, childhood or adulthood. And these thresholds mark our lives sometimes uh, or define them. Some of these endings and beginnings have been socially constructed and some of them feel more natural. So today we're going to talk about how and why is it that these terms become so important in our society and our personal lives. So we're going to explore three questions today. Uh, we don't offer answers, we offer thoughts, reflections. So our first question today is why are we as people are so fascinated by the end of things? Um, I'm going to steal the word. I think it will definitely have to do with when we realized our own demise. And in terms of uh, mythology, uh, which is religious thought, um, that problem has been there since the beginning, since we realized death. Uh, that the before before the time we realize death in most mythologies we know as uh, the golden era. It was the era where we used to feast with the gods, where we were equals to the gods. And then it's the fall of, of men. That's usually how it's called because it also has to do with the beginnings of, of rational thought, which is the beginning of everything. And it's, it's completely... Um, um, influenced by this um, realization of our own uh, death, that we are not forever. And that, and then when someone dies, we ask like, and then, and then what? And then what happened? And then we left the golden years. <laughs> so um, 
but and we came up with some answers, I assume, to what yeah, happened. Yeah, we, we did. We did. And <laughs> uh, well, that's that's the beginning of religion as well. It has def it has it has completely to do with this because religion uh, as a word is related to linking. It's how you relate everything. You 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 relink. It comes from the Latin religar, which means relate, sort of like relate to make a relation between all of the things because all of the things are related. And in that sense, life and death are related as well. Um, so this becomes a very important thought for, for our first uh, reflections of, the, of, this, of this subject. And I would definitely have to stop by Egypt and the Book of the Dead because that is one of the main uh, uh, products, no, not products, creations of literature, uh, or religious literature. Uh, that, and it's about that, about dying. It's a book for the dead. Allegedly, they who read this are already dead and, and they're going to put all these conjures that they know into motion, but it's a book that you know so you so when you die, you know how to proceed. And so, so how in, do we proceed according to Egypt once we? Die? Oh, we do a lot of stuff. A lot, a lot of stuff. It's it's a book of it's it's a, it, it uh, won't be boring when I die. Hundred of conjurations. Well, they're all conjurations, which is okay. that's what's so important. It's it also links. Uh, it's. I mean, it's filled with, with magic and religion in this sense. It's the word used as conjuring in terms of my well-being, because that's what uh, magic thought has, has, um, comes from. It comes to, to give me the fantasy that I have control over this. So right. if I just do these conjures and follow and believe and what have you, I will go to the land of um, the happy few or the happy. This is this is this this um, concept of uh, well, they with they with the happy destiny. They with the happy destiny, which is the a chosen in various religions. Yes, the chosen destiny with have it, and that comes when you die. So uh, this is also found in Christianity, but its origin, I would say, it's more to do with Egypt, with first um, division of the world. So in that term, uh, Egypt is also um, the origin or one of the origins where we find um, the, be the beginning of scatology or what we right. know also as scatolo scatological thought. So what is the meaning of eschatology for those of us who forgot uh, from the previous episodes? <laughs> uh, the meaning of scatology, well, it's a part of theology that, that is concerned with death and uh, in general, the ending of things. And so- That uh, means our own death and the death of the universe. Yes, sorry. No, so eschatology, um, from what I know, but I'm sure you, you, you will tell us more about it, is uh, particularly um, a particular characteristic of certain cosmogonies, ancient cosmogonies. So from, from what I, the little bit of research that I did for today is that we have two types of cosmogonies, linear or circular. And when you have a circular 
cosmogonies, they are they're more about cycles. Whereas when you have linear ones, they're more concerned with the end of times and with judgment day. And this, what you were talking about in terms of controlling your own destiny of what will happen to you after we die. I would say that both, uh, yes, yes, to linear, uh, linear and circular um, cosmogonies. And also you find this need of control in both because the circular cosmogony that is uh, more related, for instance, with sacrifice, particularly human sacrifice, which means like once I sacrifice, I give the most sacred to the gods, this will just will set off again the, the cycle, right? It will cleanse, this is what we have to do now. And this will, will just set off this cycle which this is the cosmogony you find in Crete, for instance. The Cretans, which are very influential to the Greeks, don't really believe that there is death. It's just this life that's indestructible and your own death, your body rots and gives more death, more life, I mean. So there's really no real death. You just become your flowers. And they truly religiously believed on the, this, this premise. Can and, I ask you yeah. if the if the Aztec cosmogony is a linear or one circular one? Just thinking about sacrifice of human sacrifice. Well, in the end, they 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 also talk about the end of bigger cycles. You also have those cosmogonies that are in uh, um, their own cycle is inside a bigger cycle, which is what you find in the in the uh, Odin and and. The Nordics, all right. In, okay. in Norse, in Norse mythology, mm -hmm. you know, it's this when when Fenrir takes over. That's going to be the end of the era of Odin, for instance. So, in the end, I would say it's the beginning. It's the end. It's the beginning. It's the end. So, and and I'm and I'm spoiling the joke for our listeners. But um, the Aztecs, for instance, if I'm not uh, wrong, they believe in this in this like concentric circles mm -hmm. like the Mayans that the, it's their cycle and then that's gonna end and something else is gonna begin not so much as as when I die I I mean they do have the netherworld of course and 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 that is also part of of a scatological um, influence in them because if you're drowned you go to the to the netherworld of Tlaloc, for instance, which is different than if you were burned by fire, then you go to another netherworld. Um, so you do find variety. Uh, it's not so much as only linear or only circular, but there are okay. only linear and only circular. And because that's how this world is made of opposites. And in, in that sense, Christianity, for instance, is one of the main eschatological religious uh, of our time. It's the eschatological religion of our time. It's mixed with a lot of stuff that comes from Egypt, even because what I was saying before about this, the Book of the Dead, etc. it's the beginning of eschatology as well. It's not here. It's the sense of not here, it's over there that's the real mystery. My real task is to get over there. The interesting thing about Christianity though is that it becomes not 
only the place of the hero, for instance, which is what we find in Norse mythology or in, 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 in the Aztecs as well, in, in all of this, of these uh, very vitalist civilizations that were uh, driven by, by many other things as, such as human sacrifice. <laughs> uh, but there are many, I mean, Christianity is based completely on your moral, like on your moral compass and how, on how good you are. And that becomes, um, because you, you must be like Christ, you must be Christ-like. And the understanding of what being Christ-like is, has been the dilemma for centuries that has translated into just into this be good to thy neighbor, but this weird version of Christianity where the pro-lifers don't care about kids that need adoption, you know, so. But it, I mean, Christianity, this catology of Christianity has very much to do with uh like you were saying in terms of the control of, of my life, the control of like, you know, if I control my morals according to the scriptures or whatever, uh, then I control the end of me, the end. And, and, and the mystery is no longer a mystery. Right. So so I give meaning to my entire life by saying by acting in a way that is meant to be ideal so that, you know, at judgment day. I'm one of the ones that gets to go party with Jesus. Well, yeah, that, that's a dilemma. What to do in terms of Christian in, in, in Christian thought? It's what's the action? Like it's it's a it's a it's a it's an actual huge question about what to do in my day-to-day -day life because the good work has so many interpretations that some of us might say, well, the good work is to live your life fully. And then when Jesus comes in his second coming, he will choose me because I knew what to do with my life. I, I, I was a seed and I, and I took care of myself as the seed I am. And I grew to be, and I, you know, intoxicated myself with, yeah, I intoxicated myself with pleasure in life and realized that I am the other and whatnot. And Jesus, of course, is going to say, yeah, you come forever to live with me. But all but the of this that I just said, yeah, the evangelicals wouldn't, wouldn't want to get intoxicated with us. The evangelicals would disagree with the Unitarian Church and the Unitarian Church disagrees with. So, of course, the interpretation of who is going to get to party on Judgment Day varies. But the apocalypse, the meaning of the word of the of the word apocalypse from the Greek is revelation. Yeah. Right? So so it's actually the antidote to the mystery of what happens after the end of times. Well, because allegedly that um, when you, a revelation comes after you've encountered the mystery. So it does kind of make sense in terms of the end, because then you will be revealed what it is that we've been saying that's gonna happen, you know, that we also have plenty of imaginary around from sound to pictures to moving pictures regarding this apocalypse. And in a way, I like the revelation or, or the end of that mystery, the revelation of that, of that meaning brings about the end of mundanity. It justifies for the Catholics the endured Christians. suffering or the Christians, the, the endured suffering, the, the everyday 
numbness or the everyday you know, a routine or void that we feel will then be justified. Our sacrifice. Yes, the, the fantasy, the fantasy behind this for the evangelicals, well, for Christians, but but a particular sect of uh, is um, that you will be reborn in heaven as as the best time of your life. Like you get to choose when you feel was the best time of your life. And that's when I, like, that's it. Well, this this thought has actually uh, you, we can relate this because this has to do with with the good fortune ones so that I was the chosen one that I was mm -hmm. saying in terms of the the Egyptians that, for instance, for the Greeks, those fortunate ones are related with memory. Like if you if you remember, if you know and you remember always this notion that for instance, there is no real beginning or end, you won't be resented with your life and you won't become demonic. Mm -hmm. You will be in harmony with the other because uh, the, the demon separates things. So in a way, this um, part of this uh, religious thought that we can trace to the, to the Cretans It has to do with this, like, if you always remember that there is no real life or death, that we're just in this huge process of, on, of becoming, <laughs> of becoming not only us, but the universe, then you won't be so resented of where you are in life. Okay, I would like only just to point in terms of history or the or historic line, which also would would show how scatological we are, uh, which we, we live by a, histo a, a historical line. So in terms of that line, we find um, this uh, scatology in Egypt, of course, thousand years back, but most importantly in Manichaeism, mm -hmm. uh, Manichaeism has a lot to do with this. So it's part of these uh, Gnostic sects that, The arise in the second, third year of our era, you know, year of our, uh, well, no, like, yeah, 300 years in our, in our timeline. And eschatology, just as it's been like a defining uh, in terms of religious thought, it has also been secularized into science. So we not only now think of the world and judgment day, but we think of the end of the planet and we think, um, Well, the end of the planet, actually, in terms of environmental activism is not new in terms of scientifically uh, thinking about the end of times, but we also thought about the end of the world through the Cold War and through nuclear war. So there's always been like a panic regarding when, our, when is our society, when is human life going to come to an end? And for those of you who are a bit older than millennials, you will remember the panic about Y2K. Yeah, um, that everything was going to collapse. All the computers weren't going to know what to do and like everything was going to shut down. And I mean, uh, this 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 kind of like a panic inducing uh, media frenzy uh, narratives have always been around um, They're Now they're just taking a different route, which is the route of science. And actually, George Steiner would tell you that they are precisely religious panic but of that, course that this secularization is a lie there of is course. no such thing so it's just this our religious drive constantly 
Yeah, it's it's a dogma. It's a dogma that now has been uh, embellished by science, but it's not like we haven't actually changed our way of thinking. And I think here the criticism, my favorite criticism of both eschatology and, um, you know, the planet is going to end and thou shall not eat animals or animal products uh, yeah. is uh, anti-humanism. Uh, anti-humanism stands in opposition to humanism. Humanism believes that the world is better uh, by the presence of human beings that we are going to bring progress to the world. And well, that's a belief. Uh, I, I would say that it's part of belief in humanism itself, but not the core. It's not the core. The core of humanism is like- Speaking as a humanist. It's one of the characteristics in terms of um, also how we believe that the humans are the superior species. And oh, right, right, it's right. also I partly- that. I hate that, yes, it's true. Anthropocentrism, right? That the world yeah. really surrounds us. Now, uh, I think it was um, Grimes who, whose, whose last album was called Anthropocene. Anthropocene, yeah. Anthropocene is the concept that uh, now our impact on the earth is so big, like geologically. That we are that an we era. Can, that we are an era. Well. I don't need to tell you that that is a theory, not a fact. But uh, so anti-humanism, and, and here I'm quoting specifically John Gray. Uh, he wrote a quite fascinating book called Straw Dogs, uh, where he tries to um, take down the beliefs of uh, humanism. And of course, you know, humanism is everywhere. Humanism is in politics, in human rights, in ethics, in bioethics, in religion. Like everybody is like wants to claim to be a humanist. And um, I am not going to do that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> as, as, as humanists, people believe that they control their fates and we do not. Um, we believe in progress and we believe that we can free ourselves from the limits that frame the lives of animals. And anti-humanism claims that those limits are not for us to deconstruct. We cannot take them down. We cannot overcome them. In fact, this, this fear of death that we have, this fear of our end of times, of the, of the end of times, and this obsession with the end of times has to do with the fact that we are the only ones that resist the passing of time. That resists our destiny which is death. The, which is the passing of time. So we make yeah. death and suicide and the end of times and judgment day into a moral issue. Dilemma, yeah. Into a moral dilemma. Actually, Christianity is the, it's the, the uh, strongest um, paradigm that um, bans suicide. And it bans suicide because you can't stop when you, you when you kill yourself, you stop adoring God. Right. So that's it's it's an act against God. But this is a Christian thought mainly. It's not it's not a pagan thought. Actually, in 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 these Gnostic sects, uh, Manichaeism, particularly Catarism, they believe in suicide as a, a, a means to to get to the higher God, which is, it's not Jesus. There's a higher God. It's not even Jesus' daddy. Those are part of the demon, of the demon vision that was sent to us. You know, we have to, and suicide is a way of, of getting there. This is from pagan times. This comes before uh, Christianity. And it's one of the things that, that came to, 
to, to big in, to influence Christianity also in terms of, of passion. Because uh, if you want to kill yourself, well, the thing is you mustn't if you love God. So this becomes, this is a part of, of the beginnings of Western passion as well. And it continues until now, this like, uh, well, the idea either that suicide is to be condemned by either uh, psychiatry and um, oh, yeah. religion or that uh, suicide is a privilege to human beings. That, that's, that is something that we alone do as, as beings, as creatures, which is also not the case. I, there's a book, sorry, there's a book called Carl. I just want to summarize my, my opinion on suicide. And it's well, we're going to come back to suicide. We're going to come back. I know, I know, I know, but I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the future. Uh, Carl Hart that has this book that's called uh, Drug Use for Grownups. I would say I would, my book would be Suicide for Grownups. Yes. Cool. <laughs> and you should publish it in Switzerland. They would be okay with that. Um, and just to close this this kind of criticism of progress, um, we want in the in the West, in the West in Western culture, we want to justify everything by calling it progressive. The progressive oh. liberals, um, in the name of progress, right? The progress of society. In the name of liberty, all of these wars. In the name of peace, all of these wars. And and that is meant to be bringing us forward. And then again, in itself, it's it's a construct. Um, we have gained knowledge about things uh, in the world, but our needs haven't changed. Our ethics haven't changed. We are not better now than we were 500 years ago, ethically. Or like, you know, we still need the same things. In, in the name of progress, we claim that action is the best way. We, we must be activists. We must act. Uh, this is what kind of this like kind of like a left wing or Instagram, uh, you know, quotes like, you know, action. But it's is also a- it becomes also acting uh, activism as your personal brand, which right. in the world in terms of profilicity. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is well, a shout out to uh, <laughs> Professor Hans-Georg Muller, who mm-hmm. writes an, uh, about profilicity. We'll hopefully have him on the show. Uh, for an interview sometime 2021. But anyway, I mean, also this action as your brand for your profile, for your personal branding, that's also, well, terribly funny, I guess. that it, it, It's about identity. It's it, like yeah. a profile is about identity and it's not, uh, it's not necessarily, it's not progress. Yeah, it's not progress. It's just it's action. Not- and, you know, if you, if you look at... Um, Chinese philosophy in terms of Taoism, you'll see that actually inaction, non-interference, what it's called Wu Wei, is actually the the course way to, to go. The course to take instead. I'm just gonna read a quote from John Gray. It's very just one sentence. It is not the idle dreamer that escapes from reality, but the practical men and women who turn a life of action as a refuge from insignificance. This is perfect words to start with with Freud, which also uh, George Steiner uh, said that his the whole um, psychoanalytic school um, built by Freud was an attempt by Freud of um, fill the place of religion in the Western world that that religion had 
uh, failed to fill because there is no control of this. So, but he, he, he does underline how Freudianism, we can say, as well as Marxism, have this core myth to themselves that want to, that like want in the end want to interact with us more uh, as a religion uh, that, that this claims our need for this, even though they're very scientific, both of them, you know, economical, economical wise and, and in terms of psychology and neuroscience, mm -hmm. uh, but they're not, they're just echoes of this thing as well. And in that sense, they are meta-narratives because they explain themselves by explaining everything and they explain everything by, you know, like they, they, they are part of their own narrative of the reason of things. Why? Yeah, which is, well, mythology is, is meta-narrative as well mm -hmm. um, in general. So yes, they work more as myths in this sense. This is what George Steiner sort of says. So um, returning to just natural Freud, Uh, the Freudian myth concerning um, the birth of the defense mechanisms and uh, the and the death drive and uh, the and and the and and the erotic drive uh, is uh, precise. He he asks of us in in Beyond Pleasure Principle. If you haven't read it, he asks of us for. Uh, an exercise of our imagination. And he says, imagine the first thing that came to life, the first thing that lived. What did it do, this first thing that lived? And he resolves, well, it died. The first thing that did, the first thing it did was to die. But once the erotic drive was set by this cosmic drive, <laughs> impulse, uh, instinct, well, it, life didn't stop happening. So this thing, and this, this also could be the beginnings of collective unconscious, but he would never dare admit to this. Um, the, the cell, this, this first cell that lived, starts to notice every time it comes back in all of these coming backs that there is one thing and it is death, mm -hmm. that it lives to die. And what becomes the first action like, and, and also sets the first defense mechanism that is regression, which is that after you are traumatized, you go back to an earlier stage of your development, whatever it is. So in this sense, death is a regression. So you live and then you die because you couldn't handle. So when life acknowledges that there is nothing else but to die, instead of just coming to die, what sets in in nature, according to Freud, is the, def I will, die by my own means. I know that I will die, but I will die by my own means. And this, he says, happens in every level of life. This is why even though, this is why you will find animals that are completely transformed in the, or are, or humans that are in our posture or whatever. And then you mm -hmm. can see like all of the hurt and all of the everything, the trauma that has gone through that thing 
but still there it is. So what he says that is very interesting in, in, and it's also very sinister is that the defense mechanisms of the, of the ego of I are related to the death drive. Right. Sorry. We're go- and we'll return to the death drive both uh, in this episode and in the next one, because we're going doing a two part episode about death and death drives and Eros and Thanatos, the next one. But when you were talking about this, like uh, the, the, the understanding, I, I don't, I don't know if it's realization or understanding that one lives and one will die. I don't know if it's teleological, if it's one lives to die, but it's just one lives and one dies. It reminded me of um, Shakespeare's opening speech of As You Like It. It talks about the seven stages of man. Mm -hmm. I was going to read the last verse. That ends this strange eventful history in second childishness and mere oblivion, sans teeth, sans eyes, sans taste, sans everything. And who's the character that says that? You tell me. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's um, it's the fool, the fool Jacks. Yeah. And that's what's important of, of of being the fool is that the fool is he who, in all his craziness, is perhaps so crazy, so foolish, because he understands that. Right. This is, and, but, but like, I mean, in, in Shakespeare, but also again, I'm going to return to um, Asian uh, Chinese philosophy, which is the fool is often used as an example of the one who understands. Yeah. It is us, us who are, us who are uh, the fools. progressive, us who are, who are like aiming at action and activism, who are not understanding. The fools. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so some would say Heidegger is the fool and some will say Heidegger is not the fool. Um, I kind of sit in between the fool and not the fool with Heidegger. Heidegger talks about, uh, and we're doing Freud and then Heidegger in that chronological order. Uh, in the second section of Being and Time, he talks about one of his main concepts of being towards death. So just like Andrea was talking about um, Freud, one lives and one dies, and there is this death drive and this understanding of that that is destiny. If there is one thing that is true about our being is that it will die. It, um, and in the, in, in a, from a more human humanist approach, rather than an anti-humanist one, Heidegger will say that uh, human beings, or as, or as he calls them, Dasein, Dasein from the German being there, human beings are uh, what they are in terms of that they are always contextualized. And he, one of the characteristics of, of who we are is that we comprehend that we will die. And our relationship with death is problematic because again, like in Christianism, uh, we, don't under, we don't understand what happens afterwards. So our entire existence and not our entire like survival or not our entire lives, but our entire existence, the question of our existence lies on the fact that I will die. And so what will, how will I relate to that fact? And the, 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 the foolishness in Heidegger, I would say, is that he has an answer. He has an answer to, we can relate to that authentically or inauthentically. Heidegger does draw this dichotomy of, authentic and inauthentic being. And for Heidegger, the way to engage authentically with death is to plan 
acknowledging that we will die. Yeah, and in, in that term, in, in that sense, I mean, uh, this uh, uh, authenticity has a lot to do with what the Greeks called bios. Like, you must come here to discover that you have a life. Right. your true life mm -hmm. and your true life is completely linked to how you die so you have to own your death right and that and that is what he that what he means that there is something that is there to be owned about our deaths and that we encounter that alone as beings and there is of course something that is uh uh undeniable sorry undeniable about that I just I, I guess I only question his dichotomy of you know what does it mean to 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 be to be authentic, authentic. that's why that's what, it's a weird like the way he he phrased the word he chooses it's a problematic word right. like his life choices and this just reminded me of one more poem uh, since we are talking about poetic thinking I'm just going to quote uh, you know in terms of this being towards death D Dylan Thomas do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light, which is, of course, in the movie Interstellar, referring, used not only in terms of space, but in terms of the death of the father. Yeah. So there is this, like, I mean, it's it, the end of us, the end of us as society. And we have, like, in this terms of, like, the space, uh, our relation to space and the end of humanity, we have Armageddon and, like, all these movies, like, um, uh, Interstellar itself as an end of the planet, as the end of the planet. Yeah, and, and in the end, like, the there's also, not in the, well, and in the end, but... In the end. Of, <laughs> um, this is the end, my friend. This is the, the end. end. But what I mean in, of Interstellar is that it has to do with also encountering with the mysterious it's the mysterious thing like in the end you don't know i mean yes he is the ghost but who 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 put it there how did it get there you know we still don't know everything like if it's all just theoretical physics but interstellar again like i mean uh inter and this is again the, the humanist's flaw and this is why i'm trying i was trying to criticize heidegger about this is that um everything has to have a meaning our time has to have a meaning in the grand scheme of things and so interstellar makes that meaning because matthew mcconaughey comes back and like saves the day or whatever <laughs> have you seen him with jordan peterson Oh, not with him, but I, I saw him talking about Jordan Peterson. He loves, he loves. I know he loves Jordan Peterson. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, you send me the link. Well, yeah. Anyway, so, we can uh, talk about Jordan Peterson some <laughs> other time. Not today. Make your beds. <laughs> um, right. So we are talking about uh, how we deal with personal death. And uh, how this is what this was our second question for today, which we are already kind of exploring, which is how do we deal with our personal ending? Uh, Heidegger says, deal with it authentically. Um, well, this is, but this is ancient knowledge. I mean, this is what in various pagan sects and it's, and it's in Midsommar actually, in, in the movie Midsommar, that's exactly what it's all about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, not only that, but it, it touches that subject which is okay when you are 72 in 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 many of these sects um and you can read this in the golden bow um 
when you're 72 or near that age, uh, that's it. One goes to the woods, does its thing or, or precipitates himself, herself. You throw towards, yourself into the abyss. Yeah, to the abyss, the, the abyss. throwing, which is exactly what freaks out the Americans <laughs> that are visiting this very, well, neo-pagan um, sect. And right. well, for all of you that, that have seen that movie, uh, that girl has found her place and she's going to stay in this cir circular cosmogony until she dies because finally life made sense, you know? Right. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, go on. No, no, nothing. Well, I mean, and and Midsummer is like, you know, uh, uh, depicts this this voluntary suicide, um, which I actually I've been looking into for the show, not not for myself. Oh, and uh, they're intoxicated it, also. They, they I mean, or in God. Right. Yes. I mean, these people that did these sacrifices. Well, the, the, I mean, Midsummer has two, two, I think, two, two strings to pull. One is the, the, the string of cults and the other string to pull is uh, that of assisted suicide. So I'm going to pull the string of assisted suicide. And if you don't know, Belgium and Switzerland are the only two countries that allow for um, I think some parts of Australia as well. But in Europe, the only two countries that allow for assisted legal suicide. Belgium, just for, for nationals, and Switzerland allows for anybody to have an application with enough evidence that you, know, you are in deep emotional and or physical pain, which cannot be Relieved. helped, aided, uh -huh. that you can apply for assisted suicide. And of course... Uh, the, the question that, like, I mean, this this cannot happen in traditionally Catholic countries, right? Because, uh, yeah, in traditionally Christian countries, because thou, like, you know, God says... Judaism also, Judeo-Christian. And, and I was watching one documentary that's called Personal Stories or something like that, and they follow... Uh, Hinduism, I would have to check. Sorry. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't, I, I would think they don't allow you to suicide because, you right. know, you can't mingle with, that's action. Right. <laughs> and uh, so in one of the documentaries that I was watching, they have, uh, I mean, you, you have like a variety of, of, of people who, who are looking for assisted suicide. Some of them are, have like deep emotional psychological disorders and that's why they want to uh, bring their life to an end. And that tends to be a lot more controversial. Uh, and then there are those who are terminally ill. And I really like the argument that this man makes. Uh, so he's uh, diagnosed with motor, motor disease, something uh, like... Uh, a terrible disease. <laughs> your body slowly stops being able to move, including your lungs disease. on your eyelids and everything. And eventually you die, but it's like kind of like within a cage, right? It's just your mind that is functional. You know, one of these terrible diseases. And so not late, not very late in the pro in the progress of his of his disease, he decides that he's going to apply for suicide. And so, you know, of course they interview him and ask him why. And he says, well, I know in some places God says that this is not, this is not allowed, this is not moral because you should allow God to do its thing 
but we don't allow God to do its thing. If you're going to take that perspective, when you save premature babies, when you put people on respirators, you don't allow God to do its thing. So I'm not allowing God to do its thing by going yeah. for suicide, but neither are you. Well, what, what Catherine, well, what the religions that, uh, or the thought, not religion, because like the thought, the, the justification behind the thought of suicide is also, or can be also that I am God in that way. I choose to do this. Right. Uh, and I just would want, want to say one more thing in terms of the dying that, um, in in um, Orphism, which is another very important religion in in the Greek world, that is um, well, where or um, Orpheus is its main prophet, the the first poet of our world. The hero is uh, the word hero is most likely to be linked in origin to the dead. The dead is the first hero because it's he or she that will encounter the mystery. And that is why the heroes in the heroic age are so towards dying because the, the phrase dying towards Hades was uh, a very popular fr phrase in terms of, of heroism, which is what we were saying about owning your own death. So in that sense, these sects also uh, revolved around, well, be your own, well, this thought, not these sects, this thought revolves around uh, taking control of your own life is heroic to yourself. It is also saving yourself. Right. Do I make sense? Yeah, yeah. Just going back to the assisted suicide thing and like, you know, this debate, whether, you know, it's taking control or allowing God or what does it mean to allow God? And, you know, going back to Midsummer as well is, I suppose, sometimes the question is also, it's a controversial question, right? It's like, should I be here? And it's also the, the, the question that Camus asks yeah. uh, in the myth of Sisyphus, right? Like the ultimate question is the question of suicide. And Camus of course, in a very like humanist way says, um, you know, the brave thing to do is not to commit suicide. But the question also can be, uh, should I remain here and live a worthless life? You know, as a terminally ill patient or, you know, whatever you deem worthless. And then what is the mm -hmm. definition of worthlessness? Or should I take this into my own hands, so to speak? And we have no answers. We just have examples such as Deleuze who <laughs> threw himself out of a window because when he was really really sick uh, so there's that yeah, Virginia Woolf Virginia Woolf that drowned <laughs> drowned so there's there's always those options before Switzerland before applying to Switzerland and uh, I guess another another perspective in terms of this uh, life and death, personal death, that is not humanist and that is not uh, Heideggerian or Freudian or religious um, would be, again, going back to Taoism. Um, the most famous tale of the Chuangzi, which is a Taoist uh, book, is about the butterfly and the, the dream of Chuangzi uh, and the butterfly. And so Chuangzi dreams that uh, he is a butterfly 
And the, the tale is like there was Chang Cho, who is the man, and there was a butterfly. And there was a clear separation. This this is the text. Chang Cho dreamt that he was a butterfly and the butterfly was flying wherever it wanted over here and over there and didn't preoccupy itself with Chang Cho. When Chang Cho wakes up, he doesn't know whether it is Chang Cho dreaming that he was a butterfly or whether it was the butterfly dreaming that it was Chang Cho. And the point of the tale is not uh, just in terms of um, waking life and sleeping and dreaming, but the point of the tale is also life and death. So in a way, uh, you do not know when you're living, there is no awareness of, of death. And therefore, we, we don't not know the existence that we will have after we die. Um, it can be an existence that is just as pleasurable as this one, or it may not be, but there is no way for us to know. So that there is no reason to obsess on it, because just as the butterfly mm -hmm. doesn't think about Chang Cho, Chang Cho doesn't, doesn't think about know. the <laughs> butterfly. So in, in this way, Taoism is not an eschatological, uh, you know, um, making meaning out of the afterlife or the life that is not this one. So that is another response to the question of uh, how to face our own death, our own finality. So in this ending problem, in the problem of the end also, um, Umberto Eco in his book, Apocalyptics and Integrates, um, theorizes about two types of character in, in our age. And he does talk about, um, our millennialism, what we call, you know, being millennial. Well, it was 86, so he doesn't refer itself as millennial, but he does say like, we are sort of in the same times as the millennial of the first uh, millennialists mm -hmm. that were so concerned that they thought that the apocalypse time was, was actual real time, that it meant that a thousand years after the first coming of Christ, we will die and that the apocalypse is going to occur and what have you. So he says, so near this, this, this other century, so near the Y2K, he says there's two types of, of character, of peoples now. And, and he links this to industrial revolution and capitalism. There are the apocalyptics that, actually would be us as well, uh, because he doesn't set a third uh, option, uh, that, well, um, pleasure themselves or ourselves in understanding that our lives are miserable and there is no progress and before was better in so many ways and whatnot. And the integrates that have swallowed the pill and are just fine with whatever it is, uh, capitalism is offering to us. So right. in, in, in this sense, this um, is relates- Is that the pill, the pill of progress? Well, yeah, and of, or of the matrix, you know, of what, like uh, the apocalyptics uh, live the fantasy that they're not in, in what we would call, you know, post 2000s, right. what we would call in the matrix. Right. They, 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 and in the end, what Umberto Eco says, you're all part of this matrix and people that are dying now, perhaps new kind of another world, which is also would label himself as an apocalyptic because he would right. be praising the past more than the future. Of course. Um, 
but yes, this in, uh, in if we look around us also with, with the pandemic and be, even before the pandemic, before and, and the pandemic, like I mean, this whole like American, you know, like Trump is going to bring the end of us, and like you know, this very uh, like I mean, the American narrative is always completely eschatological. Right. Oh yeah, all of their sects of the ninth of, of of all the twentieth century they have to do with suicidal sects because the end is coming. Right, and we have and all- that means a new beginning, and that means a new beginning for them. So that's why yes, the and, and that's why Ellen, Elon Musk wants to go and populate Mars or whatever, right? Because yeah, but he should just give us money here and feed people here. And feed and people. Fuck Mars. And and oh, so just to give an example of that, uh, you can find these videos uh, as well on YouTube of uh, this uh, the the largest bunker bunker community in South Dakota in the states is called Vivos X Point, and they are like you know I mean they are millions and millions of dollars. There's like bunkers uh, where people are going to go and hide, and people have bought them and own them, and they're gonna go and hide there at when when the end is here. And, you know, so and like there's companies like investing in this. Um, oh, yeah. Well, the just life insurance. Life insurance has everything to do with this. Right. In the, What in, will happens when it happens? Yes. Um, you must be insured. Yeah, whatever. And, and in this in this same uh, tone, we have uh, also the rise of more messianic figures such as Donald Trump for some for some groups, uh, the QAnon, QAnon uh, conspiracy theorists, but also on the other side, we have uh, little uh, Greta Thunberg, who has become oh, know, and our and Mexican president, and our Mexican president. You know, like the end of times, like the end, of, the end of the planet is coming, and like you, you know, I am the one who is coming to tell you this is how we sell ourselves, and like which that- is yeah, sorry. Go. It's Please, it's it just it means it just it brings it goes back to ritual, because we've always killed the young ones. <laughs> we started eating the babies, and then we killed the ones that were brighter and hotter. And this girl is sort of the same thing. And this messianic figure of this linear cosmogony that will end this she's the, when... the messiah and the martyr as well like you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's the same like uh the anti-humanist it's a sacred day we haven't yeah, changed and... it's just the, the topic is different but the teams like the you know the underlying theme is the same yeah which has to do with who has the truth about what happens when you die <laughs> or 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 how we or how we change our lives so we don't die, which is sort of you know protecting the planet and whatnot. There was a, a note uh, yesterday from well a couple of days ago, depending on where this when this um, podcast comes out, from uh, Stephen Colbert uh, about how the Chinese have found a way of um, increasing longevity by twenty five percent in mice. And I was like, why do we need that? Like, I mean, it, is that still the thing? Are we still looking to be instead of 100, 125? Like, okay. Well, yeah, many people would say, yes, I would say, okay, to all of these people that need to live 200 years, do that, go, go do that. And hopefully you will one day understand that the thing is that you're going to die. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that if tomorrow I get diagnosed and I will touch wood, knock on wood of some of some terrible disease that I might not be okay with dying. But the truth is that there is little we can do about that. And we might just slip on the floor and crack our, you know, skulls. And that was it without much scatology thought. Yeah. And on that note, uh, we'll bring this to the third and last question of the show, which is, um, is it a new dawn? Is it a new day? Is it a new life? And maybe it is, or maybe it isn't. I think we will let Goethe answer Nina. Okay, go on. Uh, this, is, this happens um, at the threshold of a party. So the herald is letting people in and out of this party. It's a masquerade. And the herald says, come and go on warily, for in the end, as in the beginning, the world with its thousand jests is but a fool. And on that note, uh, thank you for listening. This is Inshashtalinkwikatl. Our next episode will be a bit of a continuation of this. We're still going to talk about death and suicide and life and pleasure. And happy beginnings and endings in 2021.